is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Muthita Panmukh, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, get unstuck nation. Our guest today, his story teaches me that you cannot game your life on whatever it throws at you. And at least you can design how you react to it and choose the life that to go through your own journey. So please welcome Nick Klinger-Schmidt here, author of Through the Fire, Cancer Survivor, Obstacle Course Racer, and Defy It All. So please welcome to Get Unstuck podcast today. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. So... Yeah, I mean, I think your story inspired many people already and your book. I haven't read it yet, to be very honest, but I already like scanned through and done some research about you. And I'm like, wow, this guy is, he's a normal guy who is like, just leave show example that you can do everything. And I'm like, okay, today I'm going to talk to him. And I just really want to know how he developed that mindset. So I'm really honored to talk to you today, Nick. Oh, I'm very honored to be here, so I'm excited. So how everything happened, let's say, like, how, yeah. how this journey started, even. So you know something that I like that you just said right off the bat, though, is that you said he's a normal guy who's gone through this. And that's something that's important to me. And I try to go out of my way, even on a lot of my videos, I show f- videos of me failing obstacles. I post my bad run times because I don't want anyone ever to look at me and think that I'm doing something that they can't because I am, my circumstances aren't unique. I've been through a lot only because I've been through a lot of different things, you know, like cancer is not that unique. It's not once you've been touched by cancer, once you meet somebody, once you have it yourself or a family member, you kind of see that it's everywhere. You know, the same thing with diabetes. I mean, I've been in multiple car accidents. You've been in a car accident yourself. These things are very common and they happen to a lot of us. I, I just have a very eclectic story because I've had a lot of different things happen to me. And, um, you know, as I reflect back, I mean, it really started when I was just, even as a, even as a child, um, just a few things that, you know, I almost drowned when I was like seven years old um, at the beach, just literally standing behind my father at a drop-off and he didn't know I was there. I was taken on water uh, before he realized, you know, when I was 19, I got meningitis. Um, everyone thought I was dead. Like literally, I grew up on an island and weeks later after I got out of the hospital, I was walking around and I would see people that I knew who thought I had died. So these things began to accumulate over in uh, when I was 19, I was in another car accident. I was in my first car accident, actually. I was hit by an 18-wheeler, ejected out the rear window of my Jeep Cherokee as it flipped over front to back. And I was ejected about 30 feet away from the car. Oh, and then I. Yeah, that was that was brutal. And uh, and then I got up and 
that actually does enter into my current story because that's the first time my back was injured. That's where I got two of my seven now herniated discs was through that car accident. And so really, as I was kind of going through my early 20s and I had a number of these different things happen to me, it was sort of a joke. Like it was the, oh, you have nine lives. How many times until, you know, you're you're tough. You're just going to keep surviving all this stuff. Oh, you're the token guy that this all happens to. And it, you know, it really was just sort of something we made fun of, uh, like friends and family and I. We just sort of looked at it like maybe I was unlucky. And so when you fast forward to about 2005, and this was the first time I was diagnosed with cancer. And I can't speak for everybody, but first time you hear cancer, it's just like, whoa, like what? Because unless you've already been touched by it, unless you're already knowledgeable about it and just the variety of different types of cancers and treatments and survival and the way that it affects you, you hear cancer and you just automatically assume chemo and death. And it's a scary environment. You know, I was, I was young. I was like 24. I was living by myself. Um, my family wasn't near me. And I just, I, I had this thing and it scared me to the point that I just didn't want to talk about it. So I told my boss about it and I told like two other guys. And besides that, I kept it to myself because I didn't want to talk about it. I was scared. Um, you know, we, when we talked before the show, we talked about kind of going through the various, the various ones and I'm going to jump around in the story a little bit. But when I got cancer the second time, two years later, you know, this was right on the heels of becoming diabetic. This was right on the heels of sleep apnea. This was right on the heels of a shoulder surgery. And at that point, I was just exhausted. I'm like, man, I have been through so much. Why me? Like and back I just, to back? In late 2006, now I had sleep apnea for a couple of years. Um, it took several years to actually get the diagnosis and get like a CPAP and start sleeping with the mask. And that happened in the fall of 2006. Uh, I, I played competitive beach volleyball for about 20 years. It's a big part of why I moved to Florida. And I had actually torn my shoulder in a couple of different places to the point where it was just, I couldn't, I had to get surgery. It was, there was no more, I was like Gumby. And then, so I literally am the day after surgery, I am lying in bed with a pain pump and my arm in a sling. And that's when they're fitting me for the CPAP. I mean, it really was not an ideal situation. It was all at once. And, so, you know, you're just going through the motion. It was drastically uncomfortable. You know, I mean, you think about the amount of times that we might be sitting on a bus that's too hot for an hour. Well, imagine having your, you know, you're basically wrapped up like this. Your head's in a mask, your arm's in a sling. You can't move. I mean, it was, and you're young. You're like, I have to do this for the rest of my life. So I, I was looking forward. At that point, I think I was still just looking forward more to, getting back into volleyball, you know, I was thinking, Hey, I get this, this speed bump done and then I can move on. And then, uh, right around that time, I probably weighed about 210 pounds. I was slightly out of shape. Um, and within two months I weighed 153. Okay. It was because that's when I got diabetes oh. and I just started dropping weight and dropping weight and dropping weight. And I had to pee every 30 minutes. And I mean, all night, anywhere. I couldn't leave the house without knowing where the nearest bathroom was going to be. Um, it was just constant. And of course, on top of this, I drink a lot of water to begin with. And now you're just thirsty all the time. Can't go anywhere without water. You know, you're exhausted all the time. So all these things pounded on top of it. And when I hit 153 pounds, like I, I looked like a kid wearing his dad's clothes. You know, my cheeks were 
kind of sucked in, everything didn't fit. And I was married at the time and my ex-wife, her, her dad was a diabetic and she knew what was going on. I didn't, I just, I, I don't know. I excused everything. I'm like, well, I'm losing weight, but I'm eating better. And uh, now I'm doing rehab. So I'm starting to move and, you know, all these different things to sort of explain away the symptoms until finally I went into the doctor and they put me right into ICU. I spent three days in the uh, intensive care unit down here in Tampa uh, with a blood sugar of over 800. And yeah, that was a bit, that was a bit of a, a thing. And this is still part of where I, I dare say I'm cocky and arrogant about the things that could happen because I'm not the guy who gets something subtle. You know, I'm like, I don't, I, I get diabetes and a blood sugar of over 800 and it just, it didn't surprise me, but it was when I understood the changes I was going to have to make to my life in order, you know, to well survive. That's when it, I almost cried. I was sitting in the Walmart or the Walgreens down the street, picking up my first order of insulin. And I just felt like such a victim. You know, I was like, I can't eat this. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I was very, I was sad about it. Like I wasn't even angry at this point. I was just sad. And, you know, over the next several months, I started learning how to come back to beach volleyball. I started learning how to rehab my shoulder and I learned how to manage my diabetes through, you know, through that. Um, but later that fall is when I was visiting my endocrinologist for a follow-up for diabetes. And this is in 2007 now. And he sent me in for an ultrasound. And I just knew as soon as we we're getting the ultrasound, I just knew. And sure enough, I saw a doctor, I saw my doctor a week later and he told me that the cancer had come back. And here I was already feeling, I mean, I was just maybe starting to feel defiant about the, the diabetes and the sleep apnea and the shoulder surgery, you know, playing volleyball again. I was, I was about to get married. I was taking some decisive action to take control of my life. And then all of a sudden, here we are in August of 2007, a month before my wedding. And I don't know if I'm going to be alive for it or not. I'm not getting the information from doctors. All I know is that, and this was papillary carcinoma, thyroid cancer, the second time in two years. And I felt like a victim and I hated that feeling. And it was actually throughout that experience where it was about three days before surgery. They, they did some pre-op stuff and, you know, we're going back in the archives here a little bit. So some of the, some of the details might be a little hazy, but it was something about like my heart, they weren't sure, something showed up on the EKG or whatever that they didn't want to do the surgery. And so they canceled it um, until I can get a stress test. And I'm trying to talk to the doctor's office and I'm trying to ask them like, help me understand because nobody's telling me what's going on. No, like nobody's actually telling me about the disease or the illness I have. Nobody tells me about my prognosis. And most importantly, all I know is I have to get surgery to cut it out but nobody tells me what am I going to have to do to survive after. And I'm a month before my wedding and literally I'm like, am I going to, do I get to go to my wedding? Do I get to go to my honeymoon? Am I going to be alive? Am I going to have to go through all sorts of treatments? Like somebody tell me something and I wasn't getting any response from the doctor. And so I lost my mind and I mean it. I saw red. I called them up. I cursed in ways. I threw a temper tantrum of biblical proportions and I don't regret it one bit because this is some this was a turning point for me in my healthcare where i decided i will not be a victim anymore i'm not going to be a patient like these people help administer my healthcare but 
I'm the one who decides how I'm going to live. I'm the one who I'm going to decide how I get treated by other people. And I felt that I was being so mistreated that I fired my doctor, the surgeon, like 48 hours before surgery. And because there had to be some sort of control I was going to be, I decided I wasn't going to be a victim anymore. And it was the best thing that could have happened. I ended up getting into Moffitt Cancer Center. It's one of the best cancer centers in the world. That's where I got the surgery done. And that was a bit of a turning point for me in terms of, I'm going to say, taking responsibility for my own circumstances and managing the situation and just really managing all the things that I had going on anymore is I just didn't want to be this victim. And so we fast forward, you know, life's been good, managing that diabetes, cancer's in the rear view. And I go for one of my regular checkups, and this is in 2013, and they find a tumor again. <laughs> Same spot. Could have been all the tissue should have been out. Only this time the tumor is like against my vocal cords. It's very small. It's borderline inoperable without causing potential damage. And so they wanted to leave it there. And that was hard for me because I'm a pretty hard charging guy. Give me an enemy I can fight, you know? And so it actually took a lot for me to just be able to let them do their thing. But here's kind of part of the story I haven't told you yet is from there's no set starting point here but we'll say definitely from 2011 directly and progressively through 2013 is i was an active alcoholic i was drinking more and more and when i was told that i had cancer and we couldn't operate it was a license for me to behave badly because if the first time i got cancer i was a little scared the second time i kind of felt like a victim the third time I was happy to have an excuse because I was well into the throes of alcoholism and it was everything I needed to be able to drink and tell everybody to leave me alone. So there's actually a weird, not weird, but a perspective that I like to share with some people. Sometimes I say that cancer saved my life because when I got cancer, like I said, the gloves were off. I didn't try to hide it. I just went full board. And thankfully, because less than a year later is when I finally got sober and if I was not sober when I was there, I'm, I'm just jumping all over the place, I understand. But my mom died in 2015, and that was something that was not easy for me to handle. And I firmly believe it, that if I was still drinking when that happened, I would have drank until I died. So when I got cancer in 2013, it, it helped me speed up the process to which I finally found my way into recovery and was able to move past that. So when we kind of move Finally down to 2016 when I got cancer for the fourth time. This one was different too. This wasn't in the thyroid. This wasn't in the neck. It was in the back of my head. Um, it was found during a massage of all things. You know, I'm getting a massage one Thursday afternoon. And she's like, hey, what's that? And I'm like, great. I just knew. <laughs> I had an appointment at Moffitt the following Tuesday. And literally I'm like, hey, they're doing the ultrasound. And I was like, while you're at it, do you mind getting back there? And they weren't really used to somebody ordering off the menu, but sure enough, they did it. And sure enough, it revealed that I had cancer again. But again, this one was different because it was a different type of cancer. And I was different. I was sober now. I had a lot going for me in my life, but this created this, this hole in me. You know, this time it wasn't that, oh, I've gone through it so many times. This one put different things in perspective. This is the one that sort of woke me up to, to realize that I wasn't living as you said earlier, my best life. I wasn't living my life at the time. There was something holding me back. And so when I got cancer that fourth time, I was really scared. I, I don't even like, I didn't even admit that until recent years. I didn't admit it to myself that I was confident this one was the one.
you know, I would tell myself over and over again, I said, there's only so many times you can get cancer and not die. And I started to live in that world. So when I had the cancer removed, um, I want to say it was like September 2016, you know, I got an all clear. It was the first time out of all the cancers that somebody had actually gone to me and said, you're all clear. Like you're perfectly healthy back there. There is no cancer residue in that one spot. And I'm like, all right, like, yay, I beat cancer. I'm happy. You know, I had just been promoted at work. Um, I was dating a, a great girl who's my now wife. Um, I had literally everything in my life going for me. And yet when I decisively beat cancer the fourth time, something was missing. I was empty. There was this big emptiness. And that's when my boss walked into my office in October of 2016 and said, hey, I want to do a Spartan race. Want to do one with me? Uh-huh. And it was that that changed everything. So I hadn't realized at the time, you know, that I had just spent so much time playing a victim. Because even when you're, you know, taking ownership of it and saying, I'm going to be defiant and I'm going to beat this and I'm better than this. Well, there's still a problem with that. You're still playing this sort of victim mentality that things are against you, that things are attacking you, that you don't have any control, that you don't have any power. And, you know, that's how I felt. And I honestly believe feeling that way gave me small dog syndrome and I would act out. You know, I was angry all the time. Um, The littlest things, like I would pick fights with random people, not physical fights, just things to express my anger. And so that really was a life-changing moment when he asked me to do that race with him that day. And of course, my response to him was, no, no, hell no, absolutely not. I have no interest in doing this. I'm like running eight miles, 10 miles, trail run, uh uh-uh. And to do this with obstacles, hell no. And the train, get up in the morning, like 5 a.m. and run before work. I had no interest in being that uncomfortable. And that's what I had told him that day. I said, oh, hell no, I don't want to be that uncomfortable. And that's when I went home that night and I'm sitting on my couch and everything I just told you. And I realized I already was that uncomfortable. There was something missing for my life, something that I needed to tie it together. And so I did the first thing to get unstuck is I made a commitment to change and I signed up for the race. So you do the opposite of what you think. (laughs) I knew I, you know, it's kind of like this, right? There's probably a lot of people out there, more than a handful of people listening who probably have, they're feeling this tension in their life where they know either something's missing, they should be doing something different, doing something better, doing something else. They feel this tension somewhere, but they don't know what it is. They, they feel a change is necessary, but they're not willing to make one themselves. And, you know, a lot of times when you want to look back or you want to look at your situation and you say, here's my life and my life isn't going the way I want, you have to make a decision or accept the fact that you're probably the problem. (laughs) My way wasn't working. I had all these other things going, but if I didn't fill that vacuum, if I didn't find a purpose, find some sort of a connection, uh, I'm an addict, all right? Bad behaviors are going to fill that void over time. And I needed to find out just who I was. And so really making that commitment changed everything because it wasn't just I signed up for a race. You know, there are a lot of people who go out and do these events with their friends. They don't train for them and they never do them again. And that's fine. That's fun for them. But that's not what it was for me. It was, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to get in shape. You know, I used to be a competitive athlete. I used to run and track in high school. But here I was just sort of sitting around, working out here and there. You know, like there was just, I wasn't being purposeful or intentional with my life. And it was just sort of floating by. And I was now, everything that had transpired before had led up to a point where I was ready to make that decision. And so when I did, and I like to say this a lot, good habits are gateway drugs. 
because the first thing I did is I set the alarm for 5.15 a.m. And that was the hardest thing. Honestly, it was the most uncomfortable thing I'd ever done in my life at that point. Um, getting up before work to exercise was horrible. I was the guy, I remember when I lived in Springfield, Massachusetts, I had to be to work at the office at 7.45 a.m. And I set my alarm for 7.07. I could get up, get in the shower, get dressed and drive to work and show up at 7.45. It was a six and a half minute drive to work. I had the elevator time to like, you know, there are a lot of people who live that way. And if that's how they want to live, that's outstanding. But I just felt hurried all the time. You know, the day was constantly running away from me. And so for me, really, I never believed that I could do that, that I could wake up and exercise before work, that I could actually have that sort of control over my day, over my life. And with that simple act of waking up to exercise, I woke up. I started, I was able to defy everything that I previously thought about myself. Because if I could do that, why can't I do this? So I started to exercise. And the next thing is you want to wake up early. So that means you got to go to bed early. So I finally started giving myself a bedtime. The first regular sleep cycle I had ever enjoyed in my entire life. <laughs> you know, with a, and all of a sudden, like you want to do more of these races. So you want to do recovery. So you start stretching. You want to get mental tough. So you start meditating. You want to feel better. So you start eating better. All these things just begin to continue to add up. There's not enough time in the day so you start being intentional with your day. You know, we don't need people online telling us what to do or what not to do or get off social media or do this. Like, why not? Like, I'm never going to be one of those people. I think that if you're intentional with your time, you, there's room for the little things. So it's actually, uh, yeah, yeah, many people talk about that. Exactly what you just say. I don't have time to do this thing. So since you just mentioned that, how you transition yourself from never train forest is crazy training and the schedule. Oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine how you train. Like just survival from cancer and then like planning to do Sparta. <laughs> That's crazy already. But how you transition yourself from never do it to commit to do it and, and how long it takes you to to the race. So um, when he first walked in my office that day, the, the race was nine weeks away. Um, okay. Now, he could have been walking in the office asking me to skydive. He could have been asking me to, I don't know, go work on a farm. Like, it didn't matter, okay? It was the acceptance that I was uncomfortable in my life and that I was the cause of it. Or maybe not the cause, but I was the 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 crossing guard. You know, I was the one who was preventing my growth, my change. And so when I accepted that, the acceptance of my way isn't working was all I needed to try something new, just to say yes to something. And the thing is, is that I did want to get in shape. I wanted to be, you know, people would say that I'm tough because I survived all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not tough. I'm just lucky. Like, what's tough about it, right? Just because you have bad stuff happen to you doesn't make you tough. You have to go through it. You have to make a decision at some point, like, that I'm going to be tough. And I do believe it's a choice because just because I had all those things happening to me, I wasn't tough. I was just taking a beating. <laughs> like life was just kicking my ass repetitively. And it just made me bitter against life. You know, it made me feel like I was so special because that was the way I was dealing with it for a very long time. And it's, it's not a good way of dealing things. You know, when you're constantly feeling like you're just on the defensive, it's exhausting. You can't enjoy your life. You can't be your best self. And so then we begin to conjure these excuses 
that we make to ourselves and to the rest of the world, right? Like as to why we can't be better. Or if you see somebody else, how many times do we see somebody doing something that we wish we could and then somebody mocks that person, right? Mm-hmm. Like because we can't be them, so we'd rather complain or we would rather say, oh, they're not that good because of this. Or, you know, we just create these barriers between us and who we could be. And that's where I was, was this thing holding me back. So I didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew was that I made a commitment. So I had no idea where to start. Like I knew how to run a little bit. That's it. Um, so I went online and I actually found like a 30-day couch to sprint training program um, on the Spartan website. And it was simple. It was functional exercises like, you know, uh, I can't think of anything right now, but like do 30 squats, run for 10 minutes, do five pushups. Like it wasn't very crazy. It was just about getting your body moving. And so I did that and I just extended it out towards nine weeks long. So I was like, all right, I can do this. And then I'll gradually add more, you know, every time. And it wasn't like it was insane training. So even now, like well, right now I'm kind of coming back from an injury, but if I wasn't, you know, yeah, I'd be putting in 30 to 40 miles a week, which is not that crazy. Um, and I would be doing strength training throughout the week. But I mean, I'm 44 years old, you know, I've got seven herniated discs, I've had shoulder surgery, hip surgery. If I work out two and a half hours a day, which is probably about the amount of time I spend dedicating to physical training, that's not all at once. And it's not like I'm running for two hours, you know, 30 minutes of that is stretching at night. That's where I do my meditation. 45 minutes of that easily is prehab and rehab and just working on those little muscles, trying to make sure that, you know, I can still walk in 10 years and that I'm hopefully can still do this stuff in in 10 years. Um, You know, the main set of my workout is probably no longer than anyone else's who's going to the gym or doing something. I probably do a hard training for, and when I say hard, I mean a dedicated focused training for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on, on what I'm doing. Like there's nothing crazy about it. And just to give you an example, I, uh, I strained my hamstring a couple weeks ago in a race, um, badly. I thought I tore it, but I didn't. And so I had to, I couldn't do anything for a couple weeks and I want to start moving again now, but it's only been a few weeks. So, you know, I ran for a whole 20 minutes this morning at a 14 minute pace. Tell me you can't do that. Of course you can. Like we can't go for a 10 minute walk, a 15 minute walk. So I'm now gradually, slowly getting back into it and I'll build upon that. But that's all it takes is that first decision to do something different for yourself and then the first action. Mm. You had a hip surgery as well? Yes. <laughs> um, around 2013. Actually, that was when uh, that was what. So I tore it in 2012 playing volleyball, um, playing beach volleyball. It was uh, it was like a cool night in October. I had gone down to pass a ball and I really hadn't warmed up enough. And so I, in my labrum, my hip, it, yeah, it was pretty painful and uh, ended up having to have it repaired. And that actually, that's kind of what I say is like when I'm recovering from that is when I had nothing left to do but drink. And that's kind of when I think I made my final oh, push. How, into how long did it take from you to come back to walking and to running? Well, I wasn't running back then. Back then, I just got fat. Um, yeah, because I am in your place right now. So I, the time that I mentioned to you that I had a car accident, so I got a hip fracture as well. Yeah, so I couldn't walk for like uh, three months, and then like we'll walk with the crane for like another three for 
let's say it on and off like i still had some pain but right now i'm getting better like one year later i'm already getting better coming back to able to do some weight training so what i discover is that i need to build the muscle to support the legs if not it still have a lot of painful feeling that it's not going anywhere unless i build the muscle like if i'm not building any muscle to support it it's still causing the pain so that's the only way out like that's what i discovered so far but just want to know your experience yeah no my recommendation for you is if they gave you rehab exercises to do them every single day as often yeah. as they tell you that's something i definitely wish going back in time that i <clears throat> i didn't understand enough back then you know like when someone tells you hey you're do this a hundred times and it's going to fix your shoulder. You're like, no, it's not. But, and I made that exercise up, <laughs> but you know, over time when you begin to realize now I wish I had done those things because partly, you know, seven discs on the left side, I'm like this. And so I do wish I had put more, you know, when I, my, my thing is I get hurt, I rehab, I get re I get strong enough to resume and then I just move on. But if you don't keep up those certain micro strengthening exercises, you know, like the body's just going to fall over itself. So now my thing was a torn hip. It wasn't like a fractured. So I don't know um, as far as a return is concerned. And I wouldn't want to give terrible advice. I know this, though. I haven't been I haven't had a day without pain in 25 years. I know. Since, since my first car accident, there hasn't been a single day where I've had a pain level less than six. And because there also comes a point where you just got to make a choice on what are you going to let hold you back and not. And so, yeah, when you're physical training against things that kind of hurt, sometimes it hurts worse. But also now that I know what I know when I'm training, I'm training all the things that I'm supposed to train. So I should be taking pressure off of that pain because I'm still doing the rehab part, too. You know, like I'm not going to win. I'm not trying to win races. I mean, that'd be great, but that's not <laughs> that's not in the cards for me right now. Um, but I'll tell you what, too, is so, you know, I got up to 240 pounds after that hip surgery. Um, I weigh about about a buck 85 right now. And, you know, I was stuck at that 220 for so long that I just never thought I'd be able to lose the weight. Um, but I lost most of my weight before I ever heard of Spartan race. and I lost it by incremental decisions, incremental actions for incremental progress. You know, I use an app called my fitness pal mm -hmm. and literally managed to do macros and exercise. So I found a way to get 30 minutes of exercise in a day, whether it be walking the dog, getting on the, the exercise bike or treadmill or just elliptical swimming in the pool, walking in the pool, just anything that, because at that back then it was for me it was about burning calories and then I would just manage my my food decisions so I never actually went on a diet you know like uh, I remember my ex girlfriend and I were walking the dog one night and we're like and she was doing the same thing on the fitness pal and it was like I don't want to cook tonight me neither what do you want to make I'm like you know what I want I want like a a chicken parm sub yeah and then I looked down and I had 950 calories left and I was like all right cool let's get it. So it wasn't like I went on some crazy diet. It just, and this is also part of the, I think the lessons learned is that it's just about making better decisions because you can have a lot of the things that you want by making those smaller micro decisions and not having to live in the extreme one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Cause I told my mom that whatever happens, I need to be able to drive still. 
because I was the one who drive in the car, but it's like it hit three times and it's flipped. <laughs> yeah, I was driving pretty fast back then, and my dog was sitting next to me on in the car, but my dog is fine though. So right. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's okay. So yeah. So whatever happened, I I just want to be independent because thinking about it, if I couldn't drive at all, I still have to ask other people or like taking taking a cab or something, and it's so uncomfortable to like travel around, you know. So mm-hmm. at least if I couldn't walk properly, I mean, travel with wheelchair is totally fine. Like I I travel airport internationally. Totally fine with wheelchair. I already went to Bali with wheelchair. That's totally go fine very well. But not be able to drive is worse. My nightmare. So I would do whatever it takes to manage my pain to be able to drive. That's my goal. And yeah, I'm working on it. It's getting I think better. you have a very tangible goal too, because I think that's where a lot of times. Me personally, when I have fallen short on a goal like that or something, it's because I don't define the goal properly. Mm. You know, I'd say, hey, I want to get healthy and strong again. But what does that mean? Right. Like, so I like it that you said, I want to be able to drive. And therefore, you know whether you can or you can't. And then you're able to assess what's left. Like, all right, well, it still hurts. So what can I do to fix this? You know, but when you don't know where you're going, you'll never figure out how to get there. Yeah. But it's so annoying because every time, like in the very beginning, like those months after surgery, it's hurt differently. And I'm a kind of person who like, how to say that? I have anxiety and I always track my symptoms every time. And I would always like went to see doctors with very detailed describe. And they say, oh, but your bones looks fine <laughs> in the x-ray. <laughs> we started on that. So they not really help me anything. So I have to figure it out myself. But yeah, eventually, I mean, I'm I'm on a better route right now. So what I have discovered is that no one knows better than yourself. So you have to talk to yourself very clear of what you really want and like where you are right now in a journey, right? I think something that's important, and this is something that's helped me. So, like. You know, I told, I said earlier how the first milestone for me was when my boss invited me to do a Spartan race and I made a commitment. And, you know, the next couple of years, I started seeing the changes in my life. You know, I started seeing how people treated me differently in a positive way. Um, people started telling me how I was inspiring to them. You know, I wasn't making videos back then. I would just kind of share bits and stories of my journey, but mostly it was me talking trash against my adversity. So if I'm like, hey, I did this race, it's more like, screw you, cancer, see what I did? And, but when I when I wrote my book, now I started writing it in 20, probably 2018, late 2018. Um, I wrote it, I journaled. That's what it was, it was a journal. You know, like I, I journaled a lot of my workouts, of my races and the impact of the races and the things I focused on certain races. And, you know, the these obstacle course races, like there's elite, people who who run for money all right and and medals and then there's the age group competitors and that's usually where i i races in the age group but i'm a middle of the packer sometimes i do a little better i'm not taking home any extra medals you know that's not why that's not why i'm out there 
but uh, these races present a unique opportunity to inspire yourself every time. Sometimes it might be the first time you beat an obstacle that you've never beat before. You know, sometimes it might be for me a fear of heights or a fear of snakes. I mean, we're out in swamps half the time and I'm climbing mountains like I'm facing my fears, you know, like there's lots of different sometimes just the time that you decide to set a goal and you hit it. You know, I, I set a goal of 45 minutes for one race earlier this year. I finished in 4457 and I'm like, yes, like, wow, I might as well have won the race, even though I came in like 22nd. It was about it was about that part of the journey. And so those things started coming alive. But when I wrote my book and I decided it was going to be a book and that's when I started revising it and revising it and revising it. And that's actually when I was able to see the common themes from my own life when I was able to see the lessons and actually derive the lessons, believe it or not, the process of writing the book is the transformative action that I took. That's now helped me become who I am because I knew I had something before. I just didn't know what it was. And now that I do, and I see these, you know, sometimes a lot of people ask me, how oh, you're so positive all the time. I'm not <laughs> like everybody else. Like, I don't like it when things happen that are against my expectations either. You know, I get mad when the Red Sox lose, which is also I was mad a lot this year. Like it's not, I'm, I worry about money. I worry about health. I struggle, but I do make a choice to, to look at the positive. And I look at a lot of obstacles as opportunities to, for me to overcome. You know, like when you accept that, when you accept that life isn't, whoever said it was supposed to be easy. Whoever said we weren't supposed to endure pain? Like, you know, this is the Diabetes Awareness Month. And so I made this video. You, you might have saw it, the one where I'm just doing a bunch of ops. Well, that's a bunch of them. But I wanted to – I saw somebody comment on an NFL quarterback who's a, a diabetic, and they made some comment about how he shouldn't be doing that because of he has to check his sugar too often, and that would be bad for his skin. I mean, that's the absurdity that somebody would say how – why that person can't be the best version of themselves and whoever said that we were supposed to be born and live in a bubble so i hope i'm wrong but what if you never not experience pain from that leg again does that mean you'll never drive again at some point you're going to make a decision to live with the pain because we can lie around and be in pain or we can live our lives in pain so i made a decision and i do constantly i, I lean into it it's hard being a diabetic endurance athlete, but you know what? It's just hard being a diabetic. So why don't I add the other part and have fun? Why don't I challenge myself to live my best life? Like whoever told me that it everything had to be sunshine and roses. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I have nothing to say because I wouldn't lose pain. This is the time that I feel pain. I couldn't even walk. I even have to Well, you're also not there yet. This is pretty fresh for you. Give it time. Like I'm not saying you'll get a car accident and go do burpees. Like. <laughs> Yeah. It's okay. I mean, like, I, I told many people that, like, don't drive fast and don't, like, don't, don't drive when you feel, like, sleepless or something. Because I work in the U.S. time zone and I live in Thailand right now. So okay. my sleeping is, like, different than others. Have to be very cautious when you drive. That's, that's yeah. what I do very well. So, yeah. I just telling myself that and I keep telling others with that. So I'm just being more conscious. And I believe that after a life experience like that, it changed you to be a better self. And like what you say, living intentionally. I made a, I don't know 
if you find your purpose or if you decide your purpose. But I decided that my purpose is to overcome every obstacle and inspire others that they can too. And so now, you know, I, I lost my job a month ago and I literally looked at it as, okay, here's something else that I get to overcome now. Here's something else that I can do and show others that they can too. You know, the things we talked, obstacle course racing is a lifestyle for me. And that, you know, like I said, there's people who it's a hobby for and that's outstanding. But for me, it's a lifestyle and it extends beyond the course. You know, the same life lessons, the same discipline, the same purpose, understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing. These are the things that carry through that build resilience in all aspects of your life. Like building resilience is building resilience. As long as we're training our mind to be more resilient, that applies to whether or not I'm trying to hold on to a rope for five more seconds or just trying to hold on to my sanity while I'm trying to make some money for five more seconds. The biggest aspect, I think, is I had to get out of that victim mentality because you're not building resilience when you're saying, make it stop, make it stop. That's not building resilience. That's just being a whiner. And we're all entitled to those moments. Don't get me wrong. I still get them. Like when I hurt my leg a couple weeks ago, that day I was really mad. And I mean, really mad. So I began to accept the situation over the next few days. And then look, what is, what is my best path forward? And I think a lot of times, you know, I set goals in terms of races and stuff like that, but it's important to remember that races are not my goals. Those are just the tactical things that I do. My purpose, my goal is to overcome every obstacle and inspire others that they can too. So for me to have to bow out of a race, well, now I have an opportunity to overcome uh, a hamstring strain and financial difficulties and other things in order for me to get back because that's my why. That's why I do it. Um, if it was just about the races, that would be outstanding. But like, why would I put myself through all that suffering if I didn't care that much? In case anyone want to follow your work, follow your journey, or want to work with you, where can they reach out to you then, Nick? All right. We mentioned this earlier. I am posting every day on almost every social media channel at Stride Motivation. That's uh, Stride Motivation. And you can also find me on stridemotivation.com. I am actively seeking uh, opportunities for keynote engagements as well as coaching for uh, remote sales professionals. So anyone who interested to, to work with Nick or want to follow Nick, though, link in the description below. So thank you so much for inspiring all the Get Unstuck Nation here today, Nick. Thank you very much. I hope you have a speedy recovery. Thank you. I hope this episode inspire you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show notes at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.